kids. I had a, a little student come into the lesson. She was so proud of herself that she knew how to play this piece so well. And when she opened up her book, my heart just sank because every note, even multiple C's in a row, every C. Had <laughs> and so I, I didn't say a word. Actually, what I told her was, I'm so, you are so lucky. And I'm so glad that your dad helped you with your music this week. That was really awesome. And you can tell him he gets an A-plus for helping you. But <laughs> now that you know this piece so well, I'm glad he wrote the letters in pencil. Which ones do you think you can erase? I don't think you need all of them anymore. I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Shelly Davis. Shelly Davis has maintained a private piano studio in the Tyler White House area for over 30 years. Shelly studied music education in Houston and Tyler, as well as private piano lessons and composition at UT Tyler, and is NCTM certified through the Music Teachers National Association. She's an active member of the East Texas Music Teachers Association, serving in various offices, including president in 2011, when the association was awarded Best of State by the Texas Music Teachers Association. She enjoys the opportunity to visit other local associations and teacher groups to educate festivals and piano auditions. A member of TMTA since 1993, Shelley has enjoyed serving as All-Star Festival Chair, a member of the TMTA Theory Syllabus Committee, Chair of the Ad Hoc Committee to establish testing guidelines for students with special needs, Assistant Theory Coordinator, Theory Advisory Committee, and TMTA Theory Coordinator. Shelley is also the host of the Piano Parent Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated specifically to parents of piano students. Each episode covers topics of interest to piano families, such as how to motivate your child to practice and how to encourage a love of music, as well as general music topics and interviews with teachers and other piano parents. You can listen to the latest episode at www.pianoparentpodcast.com or subscribe on iTunes. Shelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Ben, thank you so much for having me and congratulations to you on this new podcast. I am so excited for you. I'm honored to be your guest. You've had some really top-notch guests and some interesting stories, and I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that, especially coming from such a prominent podcast host such as yourself. Today, we're going to talk about communication with parents. I've been wanting to do an episode on this topic for a while, and I thought you would be the perfect person for the job. So before delving into this topic, I'd like to make one very important caveat. Although today we're kind of going to be speaking in generalities to some extent, ultimately I'm sure you'd agree that the frequency and the nature of individual parent communications should depend on the parent and the child. We don't want to treat everyone exactly the same way. So although we all have kind of a default communication habit that we tend to do across parents, what are some of the key variables that we should keep in mind when fine-tuning exactly what the communication will look like so that we don't, again, treat every parent exactly the same way. Right. First of all, thank you for thinking of me when it comes uh, to terms with speaking about piano parents. Um, I agree with what you said that as teachers and owners, um, the managers of our studios, we sort of have our communication style. But one of the things that I really love about our job is that with every family that comes into my studio, I learn new things from them. And it seems like the 
generationally, things are, are changing a little bit faster than they have in years past. And the way of communicating, whether it's a text or a phone call or an email, um, it, anyway, I, I just learn new things from different families. As far as some, com some key components that I try to keep in mind when I'm dealing with my studio families is, first of all, I take cues from the child. And that may be something that I mention a couple of other times as we continue this conversation. But I try to read off of them and what they're feeling and, um, and always encourage a bond between parents and children. I feel like that's one of the big things that I can do is nurture that relationship, especially if there's friction regarding practice, which we may talk about a little yes. bit later. <laughs> <laughs> I want to encourage that bond. That's the closest bond that children have, especially right. in their formative years, is their parents. And then any communication that I have with parents, I try to always keep things positive. If there's some way that I can give them a positive spin, that's what I try to do. One of the things that I teach in addition to my private studio, I also teach um, three mornings a week. I go to a daycare, and I get to sing and dance with little five oh. years and below little children. Oh, that's great. And it's so funny, Every it, it never fails. I'll have some students that are patting their legs or clapping along with me and keeping the beat. And then, you know how it is. Some kids are just sort of rolling on the ground. They would rather be doing something else. But if I compliment and I say, oh, I see you're clapping along with me. Thank you. And, you know, and, and then the others that were rolling around, all of a sudden, they want to they wanna get in on that compliment, too. So all of a sudden, they are complying with what I really wanted to do. Mm. If I brought attention to the negative, I feel like that would breed more negative. Mm. But if I focus on the positive, then that's that's more. Of, what is it? You get more of what you focus on. And I think that's true with communicating with piano parents as well. That's such a powerful point you brought up earlier that I actually have never thought about before. That as piano teachers, when we work with students and then they work with their parents at home, especially on having the parent help them with practicing or just in general interacting with their parent regarding piano, we are strengthening the bond between the parent and their child. Yes. That is an interesting point that I actually have never thought about before. Um, thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. Uh, so now I want to talk about sort of when we communicate with parents, like how much detail is appropriate. This is something that I think about all the time in my studio. I found that some parents are very interested in the minutia of piano pedagogy and some of them could care less. And so I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about figuring out an appropriate time when it's best to do something short, like a quick email or just exchanging a few sentences in person after the lesson is done versus when it's more appropriate to do something a little, a little bit more thorough, like a progress report or even a pre-planned phone conversation or in-person meetup. Can you talk about how you communicate with parents in your studio in those ways? Sure. I, I really appreciate how you're differentiating between the different types of communication. Mm -hmm. And if it's something, you know, some sort of light topic, especially if it's a complimenting the piano kid, that I think they were so prepared for their lesson today. I think the piano kid needs to hear that compliment. Mm -hmm. The parent needs to hear that in front yeah. of their child. And then you'll get more, you know, participation in the future. So light topics, complimentary things like that, I think could be just a few words at the end of the lesson, okay. a quick text or an email. And if it's something more serious, then you know how it is with email conversations or reading text from someone else. We sort of project our own 
thoughts into it and maybe yeah. we interpret it differently right. than they intended it. Yeah. So I think those kind of conversations would be best for a phone call or an in-person yeah. meeting. Um, as I said, any communication in front of the child needs to be positive and uplifting, I believe. I was in a buffet line one time, uh, sort of at a church gathering, and meeting this new mom, not not professionally, just socially, and she had her little daughter with her, and I was trying to talk to the daughter, and the mom said, oh, well, she's shy, and it, it just kind of broke my heart for the daughter to hear the mom, yeah. and the mom may not have meant anything negative about it, but that's what I felt. Oh, now this child knows. Oh, I'm supposed to be shy. That's the part I'm supposed to play. And I wish the mom had said, this is Miss Davis, and you can talk to her and encourage her to get out of that shyness. But every parent has to do their own style, I suppose. When you say um, that the communication should always be positive if it's in person with the student around, I completely feel that. So you would say, to be sure I'm understanding you correctly, that if it's um, a lesson, always good to say something positive to the parent in front of the child after the lesson. And if it's something that is a bit more of a challenge to talk about, best to do it privately with the parent, but not necessarily over um, email or text, better to do that in person, probably, or on the phone. Right. And, yeah. and even if it is something negative, maybe the student came to lesson completely unprepared, I might be able to still ask the parent, I wonder if you guys had a busy week this week and maybe piano didn't quite happen like you would normally like for it to. Yeah. So I can call attention to, hey, I'm, I'm wise to you. I know that you didn't get to the piano like you should have, but still offer that with a little bit of grace and, and uh, we'll, we'll try again next week. And um, I might tell the parent, you know, give me a call later this evening. There's some things w that we might should talk about, but still kind of keep it. Keep it light. Right. I also like the idea of trying as much as possible to give quick compliments to the parent in front of the child. I think that goes a little bit to your point earlier about strengthening the bond between the child and parent, because I think when you do that and you say to the parent, oh, so-and-so did a great job today, that's an opportunity for a great bonding moment between the parent and the child. Yes. Uh, related to this idea of talking to the parent after the lesson, one thing that a lot of piano teachers have different opinions about is whether or not the parent should sit in and actually watch the lesson. Sometimes this, in my experience, this makes the child feel more comfortable, sometimes less comfortable. Um, I know there are some teachers who require parents to sit in, some only require it for the younger students, some forbid it, some leave it up to the parent. Can you talk about how you handle this in your studio and in general, what your thoughts are on the effect of having parents sit in on their students' lessons? Sure, sure. This is where I definitely take cues, major cues okay. from the child sitting on the bench. Mm -hmm. And I have had families that will come in, mom will come in to the lesson, maybe dad will come in, grandparents will come in if they're visiting. And I think that's fun for them to see part of the process. I might have siblings sitting in, which I love for a different reason. I love for younger siblings to hear their older brother or sister having yeah. their lesson. They pick up so much yeah. just particularly. By not sorry to interrupt. I particularly love mm -hmm. that if it's a like a three-year-old, like someone who's just on the cusp of being old enough for piano lessons. Having them sit in is a great way to kind of lead into eventually perhaps taking lessons themselves. Absolutely, yes, and that has happened in my studio. I've got lots of. I fill my studio with younger brothers and sisters. Um, and sometimes those siblings might get a little loud. They might be playing. I do have some 
blocks and some coloring books and some different activities for those that are waiting and they might get a little bit loud and it might be a distraction to me but I'm looking at the students sitting on the bench and they're still focusing I mean they live with this younger sibling so they're mm -hmm. probably used to practicing with that extra commotion so if it doesn't seem to be bothering the child on the bench then I don't call any attention to it if they seem to be distracted then I might, you know, tell them, oh, let, let's try to be a little bit quieter, maybe okay. read this book instead of, and then as far as parents being in the lesson, I have an open door policy. I tell parents, my studio is at the front of the house, my front door is right here. I tell parents, when your child is in my home, you don't even have to knock, you just come in. There's, there's nothing to stop you from, you know, being in here with your child. A lot of parents will start off coming, I do have a comfy parent chair in my studio and so a lot of parents will start off coming and staying for the lesson while their child is getting to know me and then after a while they might just stay in their car or run an errand or something. I have noticed there are a couple of different instances of parents in my studio where um, one mom I think she felt responsible for how her child played during his lesson and if he made a little glitch or, or messed up a rhythm or something, she would try to correct him. And so I had to use my body language. The way the yeah. chair is situated is behind him, so he couldn't see. But I'm putting her, uh, giving her a stop sign with my hand. Of, I'll take care of it. Don't, yeah. You don't have to worry about I've that. I've had that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had some other parents who were on their best behavior. They were doing so good. They weren't interrupting. They weren't causing any problems, but their children were just self-conscious. Maybe they were middle schoolers or high schoolers. And so through different m means of conversation, maybe conversations that they had on the car, in the car on the way home, or maybe a comment from me to encourage parents to stay outside and, and let your kid have their own lesson. They seem to open up more when it's just the two of us. So it, it, like you said before, it just sort of depends on the parent and the child and the relationship and take your cues from the student. I love that advice of take your cues from the student. I want to jump off that point you made about when parents jump into the lesson and try to fix everything themselves in a way that could possibly interfere with your own teaching, because this is clearly well-intentioned on the part of the parent. And I want to talk about that issue more broadly, since you spoke about this um, a bit on your podcast episode titled, Don't Fall Into This Trap. At least in my experience, sometimes parents can be product-focused over process-focused, and so they will try to go for these quick fixes that will make the students in that moment play the piece better, but are not as helpful to their overall musical development. This can take the form of writing in every finger number or letter name, or in my experience, teaching their children pieces by rote when part of the goal of the piece in question was to learn it by reading music. How do we help parents understand that there are objectives behind our assignments so that these parents, as I said, well-intentioned efforts to help their children practice don't end up clashing with our own teaching strategies? Right. First of all, I am very grateful when a parent is involved in lessons. Yeah, me too. Uh, secondly, um, a big part of our job as teachers, piano teachers, is teaching our parents um, how, how things work in the studio and our teaching style and so on. The story behind episode 228 of Don't Fall Into This Trap is personal experience. I had a, a little student come into the lesson. She was so proud of herself that, that she knew how to play this piece so well. And when she opened up her book, my heart just sank because every note yeah. 
even multiple C's in a row, every C. <laughs> and so I, I didn't say a word. Actually, what I told her was, I'm so, you are so lucky. And I'm so glad that your dad helped you with your music this week. That was really awesome. And you can tell him he gets an A plus for helping you. But <laughs> now that you know this piece so well, I'm glad he wrote the letters in pencil. Which ones do you think you can erase? I don't think you need all of them anymore. Ah, that's a good way of framing it rather than your parents yes. shouldn't have done that. No, they messed never, up. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I try to get in a tug of war with the parent when with a little this girl is in first grade, I will lose every time. So somehow I need to incorporate, yes, you've got a great dad and let's help him help you a little bit differently. <laughs> And as far as like you had mentioned, maybe it was a, the strategy for that piece was sight reading, not learning by rote. Okay, so maybe we missed the opportunity with that piece. So maybe during the next lesson, I've got, you know, sight reading books or sight reading app. Maybe I can focus on sight reading ah. in the lesson when it's just the two of us and um, try to still involve that strategy, but not go against what the parent is trying to do at home. That's a really good suggestion. Uh, now, I have to turn to perhaps the most, I believe, common point of discussion regarding parents, which is, of course, practicing. And yes. this is something you discuss so much on your podcast, and I'm sure I could do five episodes on you just on the <laughs> issue of how parents are involved in practicing. Um, but just very big picture. What are some of your thoughts on the ways to use parents as allies to help boost their children's practice habits besides just simply complaining to the parents when their students aren't practicing enough. Right, right. <laughs> That's the, that would be a nice go-to and probably what I would probably what I did in the earlier days. Um actually that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is mm. I feel like there are so many resources available for teachers and if you look online there there are lots of different books and websites and, and all of that, but I couldn't find very much specifically for parents. So that means the responsibility for educating our parents falls on individual teachers. Mm -hmm. And if teachers aren't real secure or confident of how to deal with parents, then maybe they can come to the podcast and get ideas. And then that encourages them when they speak with parents for my studio and then uh, kind of by process, you know, to continue that idea through the podcast I've developed different practice challenges, different external motivations to help piano kids get to the piano to practice. And they're sort of ready-made, just this prepackaged thing that a parent can download and, oh, okay, this is what we're going to do for the month of March. In my studio, and I advertised it on the podcast, we're playing bingo in the month of March to um, do these different practice things, either practice with one hand or play a piece from memory or whatever, oh. leading up to March 29th, which is the 88th day of the year. So we're kind of making a big deal about piano day. And so we've got that challenge in the fall when school is first starting and you're trying to develop that routine of practice. I've got the fall into music practice challenge where we're going to practice 20 out of the 30 days of September. And then in piano uh, in the month of November, I have a practice challenge called Pianovember. And just different ways of yeah. kind of ready-made things that parents can just get involved with. Mm -hmm. In my own studio, I have, you, you, can, you can see because we're on video, I've got charts on my wall that aren't in exactly competitions. There's not a winner, mm -hmm. but there are goals that everyone can strive to. And the kids pay attention. They look and see, oh, my classmates got two songs ahead of me. I'm going to get busy this week. Yep. So I try to be the advocate 
and, and have things ready made within the studio, and then parents can just get on board and, and continue that. That's a great suggestion. So I assume you send out these practice challenges in kind of a mass newsletter to all of your parents? Right. And some okay. of the parents will be very involved, and some of them it just won't make a connection, and so you just do the best you can. <laughs> right. But I'm sure the students would love to see that progress. What I do in my studio that's not exactly that, but is related, is with a lot of the theory games and such that I use. I make leaderboards of how everyone yes. does, and the students are obsessed. They're always like, wait, did I go up and down in the leaderboard? And yes. I think it's a way of providing a little bit of competition but not in a mean or cutthroat way kind of not in the at way all. that you're describing right I, I agree with you a little friendly competition use peer pressure in a good yeah. way yes I positive agree. peer pressure yeah yes um, the next issue I wanted to talk about which I've seen many piano teachers discuss on social media um, although thankfully fingers crossed in my studio I haven't had this too many times we'll see if I continue <laughs> to stay lucky is how to communicate with parents if there is a student who consistently has a poor attitude during lessons and is disrespectful obviously we have to talk to parents about this but we don't want to do it in a way that can come across as insulting do you have any advice on how to speak to parents about these sorts of issues my go-to first of all is building the relationship with the piano kid with the student sitting on my bench and um, I, I try to build a friendly relationship. I am interested in what other activities they're involved in, what's your pet's name, and how was your swim meet last weekend, and let them know that I really do care about them as a person. And then secondly, I make it clear in a kind but firm way that I am the authority in my studio. And if a parent is going to trust me to leave their student, you know, if they run an errand and they leave their child here in my studio, I take responsibility for them. If there were, a, you know, an emergency, I would be responsible for keeping them safe until I got them back to their parent. And I feel the same way is true with their attitude. And if they're going to try to be disrespectful to me or, or you know, have a bad attitude, then I address that in the lesson. And I, you know, sometimes we may have to not even play piano at all. I can tell there's something bothering you. What, what can we talk about? And, and encourage them to talk to their parents about that and maybe have an email with their parents later. This was something we discussed. I don't even remember what it was a few years ago that a young man and I had a conversation. I was trying to get him to improvise and he was not comfortable with that at all. He wanted to just sight read, and I was, I, anyway, maybe I pushed him too far, but he ended up crying, and it broke my heart that he cried during the lesson. So I made sure to communicate with the mom, this is what happened, this is why he was crying, I am so sorry, but um, anyway, that is a little rabbit trail, but ultimately build a relationship with the piano kid, and then let them know that I am the authority, even if the parent is sitting in here, like I mentioned that parent before, that tried to correct her student. In my studio, you need to take a back seat and I'm the authority here. Have you ever seen um, Super Nanny? It's a show maybe on Lifetime or ABC. I don't remember. I don't know that I it's... think I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Frost is the, the lady's name and she has a wonderful way of being very direct, very firm, but still very kind and accepting. But she just helps, she helps children learn what their boundaries are. And I've enjoyed watching her show and trying oh. to take a few cues. I'm always looking for new show recommendations. So Super <laughs> Nanny it is, okay. 
<laughs> the last issue that I wanted to talk about is something that comes up, at least in my studio, very frequently, um, is that parents can sometimes overestimate their children's abilities and underestimate how much instruction and time it can take for children to be able to play complex pieces. So I've had many parents request songs for their children that are way <laughs> too advanced. Um, and this can get particularly device, uh, dicey if you're dealing with a transfer student where their previous teacher assigned repertoire that like you, you believe was above their children's level. And now you have to convince the parents that in some ways taking a step backwards is actually taking a step forwards. Um, how do we get parents to feel satisfied and appreciative of the progress that their children are making, even if it's a bit more gradual than what the parent may have expected in their heads when they first signed up for piano lessons? Right. And I wonder from parents that are that are talking and making those kinds of requests, I wonder if that is, uh, if they're just aiming for more iconic pieces. When they come and say, oh, I want my child to play Furry Lease or a yeah. Moonlight Sonata or The Entertainer. Have they ever seen the music for The right. Entertainer with all those octaves? But I, I just wonder if that's this sort of their go-to, something that they've heard and um, just iconic. And you and I, as piano teachers, know that there are thousands of teaching pieces that are just as satisfying, just as entertaining. They're just not as iconic as, as what parents might be requesting. And so I try to um, communicate with them and find out what are, what are your ultimate goals and, okay. and, and see how we can work toward that and trust the process. And if their child can play something with confidence – even if it's not exactly the piece they asked for, then I think they should be, you know, I would hope they would be proud of their child being able to play something that satisfies them. Mm. Um, I also, especially if there's a child, a, you know, a student that comes to me and says, I want to play Freelies, for example, I'm excited and I'm happy to teach that to them. Most of the time they only know that original opening theme. They're not yep. even aware that the rest <laughs> of the piece exists. Uh, are you familiar with Jane McGraw's book, The Pianist's Guide to Standard Teaching and Performance Literature? No, tell me about that book. Okay, this is a, it's, it's a wonderful resource. If you don't have it, it's probably 30 to $40, but I highly recommend that every teacher have it in their studio. Um, Jane McGraw is a, a professor from the University of Oklahoma, maybe, and uh, she had her, her piano education, music education students go through tons and tons of literature and categorize them and give them sort of a level. And so, for example, I have had students come to me and say, I want to play for Elise by Beethoven. And okay, well, we'll look it up in the reference guide, and that's maybe a level seven. And I'll oh. tell you, this piece that you're currently working okay. on is a level three. Yeah, so like if a parent is like, oh, I want my child to play the entertainer for, you can show them in the book. Okay, that's great. I want you to know that that's a level seven. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And, and they understand about leveling up. Right now you're at a level three. You just played this piece. And so if Beethoven is what you're interested in, let's find a Beethoven piece that's more to your current mm. level. And then we can work up toward that other one. I'm not opposed. I know some teachers are opposed to playing simplified arrangements. Yeah, I've discussed that topic a lot on this oh podcast. Boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what your stance is, so I, I won't. I'm fine with it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> if that's what is satisfying to the parent and to the child, I'm completely fine with that. I mean, after all, we're in the business of serving 
our right. customers, right? Whenever I was taking lessons, my dad is a pastor, and he made it clear to our teachers that he wanted me to learn how to be able to play church music and embellish hymns and all of that. And he said, I know that there are things that you need to teach her as well, but this is one of our goals. This is why we're here. And I'm so grateful that my teachers were accommodating to that. Thank you for that recommendation of the book. I'll definitely look into that. Sounds like a fantastic resource, um, not just for me as a teacher, but also for communicating with parents. Uh, although the last few questions that uh, I asked were kind of about problems that can come up with communicating with parents, I'd like to end on a bit more of a positive note. Can you talk about what you're up to nowadays and where our listeners can go to learn more about you and your fantastic podcast? Awesome. Yes. Um, some of the things that I have kind of coming down the pike for the podcast, I'm working on a new practice challenge uh, for the summer to sort of help teachers and parents. Some teachers teach through the summer. Some teachers don't continue through the summer. But I think l piano playing should continue through the summer. So I'm working on a, a practice challenge for that that will kind of help help kids keep their momentum going through the summer. Um, personally, uh, I'm working on, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with boomwhackers, but yeah. I've, I've gotten into trying to write boomwhacker arrangements. Oh, that's fine. So I'm working on a few of those. And um, as far as where to find me, my website is pianoparentpodcast.com. And I have put together a special resource page just for your listeners, Ben, since we've talked about some different topics and things that I have covered on my podcast, I've, I've got a, just a, a page that is dedicated to your listeners with them um, if they wow. want to dig into further listening. And they can find that at pianoparentpodcast.com slash Ben. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I did not. I'm just finding this out in real time. <laughs> that is so exciting. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes to make yeah, sure cool. everyone gets it. That's so nice of you to do that. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Definitely. Um, well, I really appreciate everything you do, Shelley. I love your podcast, even though I'm not a piano parent. I think the podcast is equally great for piano teachers. Um, and I, again, really appreciate everything that you do. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Ben. It's so fun to talk to another podcaster. Once again, I do uh, congratulate you on your success with your podcast. Keep up the good work. And I'm honored to be on your playlist. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. Thank you.